Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Well, we're so glad to have you here with us today. I want you to take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me to the Gospel of John and the 17th chapter. John chapter 17 is going to be our text for today and for several weeks as we begin a new series titled One Heart. In fact, if you go to webcc.info, you will find not only the study guide that will help you with today's message, but also our passage of scripture that we are going to be reading. In John 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there a number of times when I've been in Israel. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying to our Heavenly Father. And it's right before he's to be arrested, tried, beaten, crucified. He's praying to our Heavenly Father. Now, he was praying that nothing or no one would be able to overwhelm or overcome his people. He was praying that nothing or no one would be able to separate his people or divide his people. Uh, he was praying that nothing or no one, either temptations or trials or persecutions or political parties or political leaders would be able to separate the people of God, that they would be unified, they would be strong in their faith and strong in their allegiance to the cause of Christ. Now, I say that because we know that we're in a time in our nation that's very divided. We're coming up to national elections and all those kinds of things. And sometimes people from both sides of the electorate will talk about how you need to do this or do that or believe this or believe that if you're going to be a real Christian. Well, listen, we're going to be addressing some of those issues that are of major concern to all Christians in the coming weeks. But today we want to start where Jesus started in this prayer. We're going to start by focusing on Him and glorifying Him. And because if there's anything or anyone that should draw people together, it should be the person and purposes of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So here's what we read in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son so He can give glory back to You. For you have given him authority over everyone. And everyone means what? Over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Now, I said earlier, this is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, let me ask you a question. What priority does prayer have in your life? How important is prayer to you in your life? For example, do you pray every night before you go to bed? Somebody asked a little boy one time, do you pray every night? He said, no, sometimes I don't need anything. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you don't need anything, it's good to pray because it connects you with our Heavenly Father. Uh, some people pray in the morning and at night. I heard a phrase a long time ago that said, Him in both ends of your day with prayer, and it's less likely to unravel. That made a lot of sense to me, so I pray in the morning and I pray again at night. Some people try to play, uh, pray on the job. At least that's what they say they're doing. One time a man was asleep with his head on his desk, and he looked up through his eyelids and saw his boss was watching him. And so he was, uh, man, he was smart. He was quick-witted. He said out loud, Can a person find a few moments of prayer here while they're at work? People pray all kinds of ways. How many of you discovered that, man, we all can become champion prayer warriors when we're facing difficult or desperate situations in our lives? It's important to pray. Pray keeps us connected to God, and it helps us to experience victory in our lives. Corey Tim Boone, the great Christian, once said, When a Christian stops attending church, the devil smiles. When a Christian stops reading their Bible, 
the devil laughs. But when a Christian stops praying, the devil shouts for joy because the devil knows at that moment that Christian has been defeated in his or her life. Don't stop praying. Make prayer a priority in your life. If we're going to live victorious lives and see changes take place in our lives, our circumstances, our relationships, and other people's uh, lives, we're going to have to be people who are mighty in prayer, men and women of prayer. Now, prayer was obviously a priority in the life of Jesus. In the Gospels, we find Jesus praying at his baptism in the wilderness before he began his ministry. We find Jesus praying before he selected his disciples, before he performed miracles. And, and again, in our passage of scripture, we find Jesus praying right before his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. Uh, the prayer life of Jesus reminds us of several things. It reminds us, one, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be praying on a daily basis. It also reminds us that we need to be praying in faith, expecting our Heavenly Father to hear and respond to our prayers. And by the way, the Bible says in Hebrews 7, we can be confident of the fact that Jesus is still praying for us. He's up in heaven and he's praying for us. Let me guarantee you something else. That the Heavenly Father always answers the prayers of his son. Now, disciples took note of the prayer life of Jesus. In fact, it was such a powerful thing that they asked him to teach them how to pray. Now, think about this. Those disciples, disciples had heard Jesus preach great sermons, but we don't find anywhere where they ask him to teach them how to preach. They had seen him heal the sick and restore sight to the blind, but we don't find any discourse where they ask him to teach them to do those things. They had seen him calm the wind and the waves, I mean, perform incredible miracles, but we don't find the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to do miracles. But what they wanted him to do was to teach them how to pray. They took note of his prayer life and asked him to teach them how to pray because they perceived that his anointing and power in his life came from his vibrant and constant communication with his heavenly father. They wanted that same intimacy with the heavenly father. They wanted that same power in their lives. And so they asked the Lord to teach them how to pray. And in response, Jesus taught them the prayer that many of us call the Lord's Prayer. But here at Celebration Church, we call it the model prayer. And if you grew up in a Catholic church, they call it the Our Father. You know that prayer. Say it with me. It says Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, that's a great prayer. It's not just a prayer to be prayed. It's a pattern for prayer, prescription for prayer. We've taught about that here at Celebration Church. And it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer. The real Lord's Prayer is what we find right here in John chapter 17. Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an intimate conversation between Jesus and his heavenly father again, right before he was to be arrested and tried and beaten and crucified. And, and because it was right then, you know, there's some important implications and instructions for us here in this prayer of Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord's prayer here focuses on Jesus, on his present disciples and on his future disciples, which includes you and I. Today, we're going to focus on the first part of this prayer. And you'll notice that the words glory or glorify are found five times here in the first five verses of this prayer. That word summarizes, that word glory summarizes who Jesus is and what he came to do here on planet earth. I want us to think today about the glory of Jesus. Jesus said to in verse one to his heavenly father, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. So let me ask you, why does Jesus deserve to be glorified by his heavenly father? Why does he deserve to be glorified in our lives in our homes in our church and in our world? 
three primary things I want you to take note of today as we look at these five verses of the Lord's Prayer. To begin with, we should be focused on glorifying Jesus because of His glorious life, because of the glorious life that He lived. Now here at Celebration Church, as many of you have already discovered, we love to talk about Jesus, we love to sing about Jesus, we love to brag on Jesus. That's because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He is the Savior of the world, but it's also because we believe that He has the answer to every person's problems, He has the answer to every person's needs. One time a little boy started attending church and, and at that church he attended, like our church, they talked a lot about Jesus. And one day the teacher was asking a question. She asked, what's brown and furry with a bushy tail that eats nuts and climbs in trees? And the boy said, well, teacher, that sounds to me like a squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus because everything here is about Jesus. Well, here at Celebration Church, we believe everything's about Jesus. We believe He has the answer to every person's needs. He has the answer to every circumstance and situation in our life. And so we need to be focused on Jesus. But today we learn from the prayer of Jesus more about who He is than about the glory of Jesus as He lived on planet Earth. Now notice what Jesus said in John 17, 4. He said to His Heavenly Father, I brought glory to you here on Earth. Now, that reminds us that we're all, we've all been created by God to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. In fact, the Westminster Catechism, the Catechism of the Presbyterians says, the chief objective of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's my purpose in life. That's your purpose in life. <clears throat> That's every person's purpose in life, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So how did Jesus bring glory to God the Father uh, where he lived, when He lived and ministered on planet Earth? First of all, Jesus revealed God's glory in His character. The Bible says in John 1, uh, verse 14, The Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory. Everybody say glory. Well, he's seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And John the Apostle said, we saw the Lord. We heard the Lord. We were eyewitnesses of Him. We watched, watched what He did. We heard what He said. And in every time we looked at Jesus, we saw the glory of God being manifested in His life, upon His countenance, in His words, in His actions. Uh, the author of Hebrews said the same thing. He said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Uh, that means when people saw Jesus. And when people heard Jesus, they saw and heard God Himself. They observed the character of God in Jesus because Jesus Himself is not only the Son of God, He is God, and He's the only person who's ever perfectly, perfectly represented the character and the glory of God. Now, while people observed Jesus and could always see the glory and the character of God, you and I are not like that. We're striving to become like that, but we are imperfect in our character uh, while Jesus was perfect in our character. I mean, uh, the, the people here, Stephen, you're imperfect in your character. Corey, you're imperfect in your character. Pastor John, we know you're imperfect in your character. And I'm imperfect in my character. We, the Bible says everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Everyone has sinned, the Bible says. It means I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And if you're sitting beside somebody at home, they're probably a bigger sinner than you are. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, the Bible says. And because only Jesus always represented the glory and the character of our Heavenly Father. So often as human beings, we like to compare ourselves with others. I'm better than him, or I'm better than her, or I'm better than this, I'm better than that. Listen, we need to be comparing ourselves with the glorious character of Jesus Christ, God's Son. 
One time a rooster was strutting around the chicken yard and some boys playing football outside of the chicken yard and they kicked the football and it landed in the chicken yard. And when the rooster saw the football, he was amazed. In fact, he gathered all the hens of the chicken yard and said, ladies, I don't want to complain, but when you compare the eggs you're laying with the size of the eggs they're producing on the outside, uh, it seems like we're coming up short. When we compare ourselves with Jesus Christ, not with others, but with Jesus Christ, we come up far short because in his character, he always demonstrated the glory of God. Now, Jesus also revealed God's glory in his conduct. By that, I mean that Jesus is the only one who ever kept the law of God in a perfect way. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. I've sinned, you've sinned. Uh, lots of people have sinned, but Jesus never, ever sinned. There was no blemish on his record, no mistake on his part, no failure that he ever committed. And nothing, ever, anything that Jesus, there's nothing Jesus ever did that somebody could point a finger at and say, you were wrong. Let me ask you, do you have any flaws? Have you ever made any mistakes? Uh, one man was trying to point out the flaws and mistakes of his wife, and she was, gave him a quick rebuttal. She said, I know I've got some flaws and, and some faults, but I want to remind you, it's those same flaws that kept me from getting a better husband. Well, let me tell you, we've all had flaws and failures and mistakes, but, but not Jesus. In fact, late in his life, Jesus asked, who convicts me of sin? Which is a question no one else would dare to ask. Would you ask that question? Who convicts me of sin? I wouldn't because my wife would speak up right quickly right there. Who convicts me of sin? But when Jesus asked that question, no voice of accusation was raised. When Jesus challenged the universe to point out any flaw in his character, in his conduct, not a single person could say a thing. In fact, Pontius Pilate, uh, the Roman ruler, at his trial said, I find no fault in him. Jesus also revealed God's glory in his claims. It says in John 17, too, God, you, God, have given him, Jesus, authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. Now think for a moment about that claim by Jesus. He claimed that the Heavenly Father had given him authority over Everyone. That means red and yellow, black, brown and white. He has authority over all of our lives. He's given us him authority over everyone. Now we read, you know from reading from the scriptures that Jesus had authority, not just over human beings. Jesus had authority over animals. I mean, who else could command fish to fill up the nets of his friends? Who else could ride a donkey that never been written? Uh, who else could tell a rooster when to crow or prophesy that a rooster was going to crow three times uh, right after the denial of his, of his servant Simon Peter? Jesus also had great authority over natural elements. Several times the disciples were in a great storm on the Sea of Galilee. One time Jesus came walking to them on top of the water. Another time he just stood up in the boat and commanded the winds and the waves to stop and they obeyed his voice. In fact, the disciples said, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? But the Bible also teaches Jesus has authority over all people. Now, when I say that Jesus has authority over all people, that doesn't mean he makes people do what he wants them to do. But it means he has the power to decide who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven. Listen, nobody but God has that authority. But Jesus, in our passive scripture, claimed to have that authority. He had the authority to determine who goes to heaven or hell. Now, some people say, you know, Pastor, I believe that everybody goes to heaven when they die. But that's not what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to hell. And a lot of people are on that roadway, but narrow is the way that leads to heaven, and very few people find it. Some people say, I believe all religions and all roads lead to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. You see, Jesus is the only one 
who has the power to determine who makes it to heaven, who doesn't make it to heaven. And he has the power to determine that because he's God's son and he's mankind's savior and because he paid the price to make it possible for any human being to get into heaven. Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He said, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Not through our good works, not through our church, not through being better than other people, but through Christ. Now think about this. Six times in John 17, Jesus said that our Heavenly Father has given him a unique and special people. Let me ask you, have you ever tried to get a gift for somebody who already has everything? I mean, that's a hard thing to do. What could the Heavenly Father give to his son, who is the son of glory, who is the son of God? He could have given him a throne, but Jesus already had a majestic throne up in heaven. He could have given him the world. But you know, the Bible says he's got the whole world in his hands. So what could our Heavenly Father uh, give to his son? Here's what he, he gave him, you and me, a special and unique people. We are the Heavenly Father's gift to his son. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to secure his very own people. He went to the cross so, so he could save us and so he could bring us into his family and so that he could call us his followers, his very own. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let me ask you, what joy is there in a cross? What, it wasn't the joy of being beaten unmercifully. It wasn't the joy of being nailed to a tree. It wasn't the joy of having people ridicule him and scorn him. It wasn't the joy of having a spear thrust in his side. It wasn't the joy of, of dying a slow, horrible death. It was a joy of knowing that through his death, uh, people would become uh, part of his family and they would love him and serve him and adore him and worship him, not just in this life, but for all eternity. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And as Jesus' followers... Because we are His people. Uh, we are to be focused on becoming more like Him in our attitudes, our ambitions, in our actions, in our relationships, so we can glorify Him through our character and our conduct and our claims. Every day, we're to be striving to become more like Jesus. Every day, we're to be manifesting the character of Jesus and the conduct of Jesus and living out the claims of Jesus. So we should be focused on glorifying Jesus because of His glorious life. But here's the second thing. We should also be focused on glorifying Jesus because of his glorious death. Now let's go back to our scripture passage, the first verse of John 17. The Bible says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Now in his prayer, he was referring to his impending death on the cross. Let me ask you, what glory is there in dying on the cross? What glory is there in dying between two thieves? From a human perspective, we don't see God's glory in the death of Jesus. We see mankind's failure. We see mankind's sins. But, uh, but from a heavenly perspective, we can clearly see God's glory in Jesus' death. We see God's grace. We see God's love. We see God's mercy. We see God's forgiveness. We see God's transforming power. And we see all of that because Jesus was willing to give his life for us on the cross of Calvary. No wonder the Roman centurion who was there at the foot of the cross. No wonder he said, surely this man was a son of God. No wonder the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians and Galatians chapter Six, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the cross of Jesus is a glorious thing because on that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, making it possible for us to be reconciled with God, making it possible for us to be reconciled with one another. Now, Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled a grim assumption 
uh, Jesus said the hour has come. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus had said his hour had not yet come, but now the time was ready for him to go to the cross. Which tells us that uh, the, the death of Jesus was not an accident, but it was a divine appointment. It was a planned event to bring about salvation for mankind. Augustine, the great theologian, said time did not cause him to die, but Jesus chose a time to die. And then Jesus' death on the cross uh, also was a great achievement. Jesus said this in John 17, 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do, by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. Now think about that. He was talking about a future event as though it already happened because he was committed to dying for the sins of mankind on the cross. And the purposefulness and the commitment of Jesus that I see there contrasts with the purpose and, and commitment of most Christians when it comes to attending church or serving the Lord or giving to the Lord or helping others or even living for the Lord. Think about the haphazard and, and how, think about how haphazard and uncommitted many Christians are when it comes to attending church, either in-person services or online services. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's a command from the Word of God. But some Christians don't take that command seriously. Some Christians attend church regularly. Some Christians attend church irregularly. Some Christians attend church occasionally. Uh, some Christians only attend church. They only come to church when they're hatched, matched, and dispatched. They only come uh, when they're born and get a little water thrown on them. Then they come when they get married, get a little rice or bird seed thrown on them. And then they come when they die, get a little dirt thrown on them. That's the only time they ever come to church. Listen, since Jesus was willing to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins... We ought to be willing and wanting to worship Him together with other Christians to worship Him and glorify Him. Think about how haphazard and uncommitted some Christians are when it comes to serving the Lord. There are numbers of professing Christians who never get involved, never get involved in serving God with their time or talents or abilities. They're content with just coming to church or just watching a service online, never get involved in serving. But listen to me. Listen carefully. Since Jesus was willing to die for us on the cross... We ought to be willing to serve him in some capacity with our time, our talents, and abilities. Think about how haphazard and uncommitted many Christians are when it comes to giving to the Lord. Someone said, some people stop at nothing when it comes to giving to the Lord. Literally nothing. The Bible says, God, Jesus gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. We ought to be willing to give not just a tip, but a tithe of our income to the Lord. Uh, think about how haphazard, uncommitted some Christians are when it comes to living for the Lord. Paul said in Romans 12, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Listen, because Jesus was willing to go to the cross and give his life for us, we ought to be willing to live for him. Because he was willing to die for us, we ought to be willing to live for him. What if Jesus has been as half-hearted about his purpose as many Christians are about their purpose of loving the Lord and serving the Lord and living for the Lord and giving to the Lord? Have you ever thought about what would have happened if Jesus had decided that he wasn't going to go all the way to the cross? What if Jesus had been born of a virgin and looked around and said, Nobody besides me is ever born of a virgin. Nobody else has ever done it. I think I'll go back to heaven. Or what if Jesus had performed the miracles he performed and said, nobody's ever performed these kind of miracles. I've done something nobody else will ever do. I think I'll go back to heaven. Or what if Jesus had lived this sinless life like he did? And at the end of his life said, listen, nobody has ever lived a sinless life. Dennis Watson hasn't. Nobody else has. And so I think I'm going to go back. What if he had never gone to the cross? What if he had said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, I've suffered enough. 
I'm not going to the cross. That's not what Jesus did, however. He went all the way to the cross. He went through great physical, emotional, and spiritual agony on the cross to make it possible for us to be reconciled with God, to make it possible for us to go to heaven in the future. Thank God for the love of Jesus, the commitment of Jesus, the dedication of Jesus, the determination of Jesus that enables us to experience the forgiveness and freedom of, of the Lord in our lives, the uh, fulfillment in this life and the future of heaven in the next life. You know, every day I try to tell my wife, Vicki, that I love her every day in some capacity. Sometimes she will ask, what do you love about me? And I'm not really a man of a lot of words at home, so I'll say, I love everything about you. You know how many are. I love everything about you. But that's not good enough for her sometimes. She'll say, what else do you love about me? I'll say, well, I love the way that you look. I love the way that you cook. I love the way that you feel when I hold you close. I love the way that you cook. I love your personality. I love to hear you talk and laugh. And, and uh, I love the way that you cook. I love the way that you comfort me and, and encourage me. I love the way that you cook. Let me tell you why I love Jesus. I love Jesus because he was willing to leave the glory of heaven and come to this earth. I love Jesus because of the life that he lived and the things that he taught. I love Jesus because of his care and compassion for the poor and the hurting and the needy. I love Jesus for all kinds of reasons, but most of all, I love Jesus because he was willing to go to the cross and give his life in my, for my life to pay the penalty for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world to make it possible for us to be right with God and to go to heaven. And since Jesus was willing to die for us, I think we ought to be willing to live for him. Amen? Amen. Here's the third thing. We should be focused on glorifying Jesus because of his glorious future. In John 17, 5, Jesus said, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. That's a powerful verse right there. The verse tells us a few remarkable things about Jesus. It tells us that Jesus had existed in glory in times past. What I'm saying is that Jesus existed before the very beginning of the world as a part of the triune God. John's Gospel says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, And everything was created by Him. You see, Jesus didn't begin to exist when he was born as a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus was, he was here in our universe in the beginning and before the beginning as a part of the triune God. One time a boy asked an elderly woman, he asked, ma'am, how old are you? And she looked at him and said, well, that's none of your business. She said, okay, but it's like you've been in business for a long time. <laughs> I want you to know Jesus had been in business for a long time. He's existed for all eternity before the beginning of the world. He has no, he's no latecomer whatsoever. He existed in the glory in the past. The Bible also teaches us that Jesus had diminished his glory in the present. When I say that Jesus diminished his glory when he was here on earth, I don't mean that he emptied himself of his deity. He never ceased to be God. He was fully human and fully God. Well, what a mystery that is, but that's what he was. Sometimes glory means an inward sense of the an inward essence of the glory of God. Jesus certainly didn't lose that, lose that inward essence of the glory of God. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says uh, that the glory of God shone through his skin and his clothes. Sometimes the word glory means the outward manifestation of the presence of God. That's what Jesus emptied himself of. He did not divest himself of his deity, but structures so that when men looked at Jesus uh, while he was here on earth, they thought he was a man. He walked like a man, taught like a man, acted like a man, but he was still all God on the inside. Paul wrote the following words about Jesus in Philippians 2. He said, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. But he was still God. There were times when Jesus showed his glory to his disciples, like on the Mount of Transfiguration. But for most of his life, he looked and talked and acted like a man. But then the Bible teaches us 
that Jesus expected to go back to his glory in the future. Now, remember, this is right before his arrest, right before his trial, right before his crucifixion, right before his death. And Jesus said in his prayer, Heavenly Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. That means that Jesus, although facing his death, was expecting to return to the presence of the Heavenly Father. He was respecting, he was expecting to return to the glory in heaven he had had before he came to planet Earth. And the Bible says, a few days after his crucifixion, and a few days after his resurrection, Jesus returned to his place in glory with his heavenly father. He ascended up into heaven, even while his disciples were watching him. In fact, later on, the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, that Stephen, the first martyr, said, I looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus right there standing at the right hand of the heavenly father. Paul wrote these words in 1 Timothy. Jesus appeared in a body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world. And then he was taken up into glory. And that's where the Lord is. He's up there in glory at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says he's praying for people like you and me, the followers of his Father. And he's waiting to return to establish his authority and kingdom here on the earth. Can you imagine the reception that Jesus must have received when he returned to glory after being here on planet Earth for 33 and a half years. Can you imagine that reception? Now, sometimes I like to let my sanctified imagination take over, you know, and think about what things might have been like. I can picture Jesus following his ascension, standing outside the gates of heaven. I can hear him shouting the words that we find in Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Those gates swung open wide and Jesus walked again on the streets of glory. The angels had prepared for his return and, they, and, and, and for his coronation. They lined the streets of gold, cheering on humankind's savior and heaven's ruler. Jesus walked up through that procession to the great throne on high amidst the deafening praise of the angels of heaven. He sees the heavenly father sitting there on the great throne in heaven. And when God the father sees God the son, he stands to his feet. He sees that nail scars in his hand. He sees the bruises upon his body. He sees the, uh, the bruises, the, scars from the crown of thorns on his head and the heavenly father looked at his son and says this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased then he takes that robe of Shekinah glory that has been Jesus's for all eternity and he drapes it over the shoulders of his son and Jesus sits down at the right hand of the father uh, to reign and forever and ever as the king of all kings as the lord of all lords as the master of the universe is our returning savior that's why Paul wrote these words in Philippians 2 he said therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and has given him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Say those words with me. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of... Come on, say them again. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe that. Don't you believe that? Man, I love talking about Jesus, bragging on Jesus, lifting up the name of Jesus. One time there were two boats passing on the Mississippi River. And uh, one man was on the one boat. He was yelling and waving at the captain of the other boat saying, there's the master, there's the master, there's the master. Or there's the captain, there's the captain, there's the captain. A uh, passenger on his boat thought it was strange that he would call another boat's captain the captain. He said, why do you call him the captain? He said, well, years ago these two boats were crossing right here in the Mississippi River and I fell overboard off of my boat. I fell into the river. I didn't know how to swim. I was drowning. And the captain of that ship dove overboard and came down into the river. And he caught me and rescued me. And ever since then, 
I just love to point him out. One time, the captain of our salvation looked down from heaven. He saw I was struggling. You were struggling. We were going to be struggling when we were born. And he jumped out of heaven and came to this earth and gave his life for us. And ever since then, I just love to point him out, don't you? He's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Since Jesus is the supreme Lord of all, he deserves to be Savior and Lord of every part of our life of our physical life, of our emotional life, of our mental life, of our relational life, of our vocational life, of our financial life, of our political life, of our spiritual life, every part of our lives. C.T. Stubb was a great entrepreneur and athlete in Great Britain who gave up fame and fortune to become a missionary for the, for the gospel. Someone asked him how he could give up so much to be a minister of the gospel. And here's what he said. He said, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, there is nothing I should not be willing to do for him. Think about those words. If Jesus Christ is God, and we know that he is, and he died for me, and we know that he did, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, we should not be willing to do for him. I want you to bow with me right now. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As we bow for prayer, I just want to remind you of this. Because Jesus is the Son of God, because he is the Savior of the world, because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He's got the power to heal broken hearts. He's got the power to heal broken homes. He's got the power to heal broken lives. Do you have a broken heart? The Lord can mend your broken heart. Do you have broken relationships? The Lord can reconcile and restore and heal those broken relationships. Do you have a broken life that's been overcome by the struggles and storms of life? The Lord can heal the most broken of lives. And He will heal. He will restore. He will reconcile when we're willing to make Him absolute Savior and absolute Lord of our lives. So with our heads bowed, I want to ask you, have you done that? Have you fully, totally committed yourself, not only to following Jesus, but making Him the Lord of every aspect of your life? If you're not sure that you have, if you want to do that right now with our heads bowed, would you just pray with me right now? Pray something like this. Pray, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And I believe you are the Lord of all, like we learned today. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Begin the process of transforming my life. Take away my shame and my guilt, my hurt and my pain, and fill my life with your presence, your peace, your love, your joy, with the power to change. I want you, Jesus, to be glorified in my life like you were glorified in our world. And I pray this with all of my heart. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Here's what I'd like for you to do, right quickly. I'd like for you to take out your phone or your tablet, whatever you have. Go to webcc.info. Find the My Decision tab. If today you pray with me to receive Jesus as your Savior, check off, I pray with the pastor. And I'll pray for you. We'll pray for you and follow up with you in the coming days. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. I need to do that on a regular basis. And maybe you want to learn about life groups or about baptism. Or, or maybe you have a prayer request you'd like to share. Take a few moments. Fill that out. Make sure you do that before you, before you leave. And let us know how we can pray for you, serve you, or help you because you're important to the Lord. And you're important to us here at Celebration Church as well. In fact, let me just pray with you right now. Lord, thank you for every person who's just logged on to join us for this online service. I do pray they would know how special they are to you and how much you love them and care for them and how special they are to us as well. Thank you for giving us this opportunity today to brag on Jesus, to exalt the name of Jesus, to lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men into me. And Lord, as we get closer to you, We'll become closer to one another and we will not let the devil or devilish people or anything separate us. We will be able to stay firm and faith-filled and faithful and united together. May that be true 
in the days ahead as never before. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.